You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Ready or Not, is part five of the series, Begin with the End in Mind, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, Pastor Scott Choir, that was wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for uh, leading us today to just celebrate the fact that one of these days, Jesus is going to step out. He's going to take us home. Uh, That's something to be excited about. Well, I want to ask you to please find Matthew chapter 25 today, Matthew 25, and for about the last month, we've been learning from Jesus and what he taught his disciples about the future. Uh, In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus does that, and uh, it gives us some clarity on what is coming and what he has planned for the future But it also gives us a lot of questions, doesn't it? Because we're not told every detail of what he has planned for the future. Uh, But what Jesus does reveal gives us confidence that he is in control. He has it planned out. And then he also, in chapter 24, gives us some signs so that we'll know his coming is close And he gives us some warnings to live by. And so we've gone all the way through that in chapter 24. Today, as we turn the corner to chapter 25, we find Jesus sort of shifting gears in his teaching. And he begins to do this. He says, all of that that I just told you, I want to tell you how you are to deal with that information right now. Here's what you do with all that you know about what is coming in the future, in the end times. And so that's what he does in chapter 25. And he does it in the form of stories. You probably know that about one third of everything we have recorded that Jesus said, Jesus said it in the form of a story. He had a story for everything. And right here in chapter 25, there are three stories Jesus tells back to back. They're called parables. And a parable is a way that Jesus would tell an earthly story in in, in a way to build a bridge to some important spiritual truth. And that's what we find him doing here in three stories. Today, uh, we're going to look in the first 13 verses at a parable Jesus told about a wedding with 10 bridesmaids. Jesus told a parable about a wedding with 10 bridesmaids. Now, before we read, I think it's important to remember that as Jesus tells this to his disciples, he's only a few days away from going to the cross where he would die for our sins and then on the third day rise from the dead. And so here at the end of his time with his disciples, Jesus begins to teach them about what will happen at the end of all human history. And he tells them about Jesus stepping out on a cloud, calling his church home. He tells them about the great tribulation and how that's going to take place. And the fact that he is returning again 
in his second coming. Here's what's interesting. In that teaching found in chapter 24, Jesus repeats over and over this idea about being alert and being ready for his coming because we don't know exactly when he's going to return. For instance, in chapter 24, verse uh, 36, Jesus said, but of that day and hour, no one knows. In verse 42, he said, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. In verse 44, he said, therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect And then Jesus continues in the next chapter with that same thread in verse 13. Look at verse 13 of chapter 25. And I want to go ahead and give you the the teaching or the main idea of the parable that he tells right before it. In verse 13, here's the meaning of the parable. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so that's the point of the story. Now, let's hear the story. Matthew 25, verse 1. And if you're ready to hear God's word, say amen. Amen. All right. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Now, in this context, that word virgins means unmarried young women. The kind that you would have as your bridesmaids at a wedding. He said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, a a lamp in their day would not have been something with a battery or that you would plug into the wall, of course, but it would have been a, a little clay vessel that was designed in such a way that you could stick a wick in a little hole uh, made out of cloth and it would go down into the oil that was uh, combustible. That wick would soak in that oil. You could light it. It would stay lit for uh, some time. And uh, to trim, when, when uh, you hear of somebody trimming their lamp, that means that they're putting the wick end to the oil uh, so that it will burn. You didn't know you were going to get a course in lampology today, did you? There, there it goes. So they took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them, remember there were ten, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels, a little vial, with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, this is where the song comes from that we just enjoyed. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's the story. Here's the summation. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. A story of a wedding. Let's talk about weddings. In our culture, a wedding normally has two stages. Sometimes people skip the first, but normally there are two stages. There is an engagement, and then there is the wedding ceremony, which usually includes a reception where the family and friends gather together and celebrate the new couple. But in Jewish culture, this is the kind of wedding Jesus was talking about here that his disciples would have needed no explanation on. They all knew about it. Uh, But we probably need explanation today. In Jewish culture, there were three separate phases to a wedding. The first phase was called the arrangement stage. Uh, This would happen when the parents of a son and the parents of a daughter would make a formal arrangement where the two would... Uh, it would be agreed the two would be married at a later time. This arrangement often happened when the bride and groom were just little children and they had no choice in the matter. Mom and dad chose their spouse. I think there are many parents here today who would be in favor of bringing that back, right? The second step was the betrothal. Now, the betrothal was a ceremony in which the bride and groom would actually exchange vows in front of their family, and the marriage would be official at that point, but the bride and groom did not live together. There was no physical contact at that point, and the betrothal could last almost a year. During the betrothal, the couple was considered to be married And it would take a formal divorce to dissolve that betrothal. Uh, You may remember that was the stage where Mary and Joseph were when uh, Mary conceived and Joseph learned about it and wanted to end the betrothal with a, a quiet divorce. That's the stage they were in. During the betrothal stage, the groom... Uh, Unless he was from a very wealthy family, the groom would be busy during this time uh, working extra hours, saving all the money that he could to build on a room onto his father's house so that uh, he and his new bride would have a place to live. Sometimes it was once he finished that place where they would live together in his father's house, that the third stage of the wedding would happen. The third stage of a Jewish wedding is really the setting for this parable that we just read. It was the wedding feast. So the bride would be in her home and at an unexpected time, there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of drama here. At an unexpected time, her groom would show up And claim her and take her to his father's house for a big wedding feast that could sometimes last for a week or more. 
So this was an exciting time for the bride and the groom and their friends and their families because the bride did not know the exact time the groom would come and claim her. And so there was this anticipation as she had to be ready and stay ready with her hair done and her dress laid out at all times. When she thought the time might be getting close, she would post bridesmaids outside her house to keep watch. And if someone saw the groom coming, they would immediately shout out, hey, here comes the groom. Let's go out and meet him. Then uh, it was exciting where the brides would Uh, The bridesmaids would walk in a procession on either side of the bride and groom. And it was normally arranged where it was about dark when this happened. And uh, the bridesmaids would take these oil lamps and uh, they would light that lamp and hold it up high. And there would be this beautiful parade of lights all the way down the road to the place where the feast would be held. And so this was the climax and the most important part, the key part of the wedding when this lamp-lit procession would take place and they would go in to the feast. Now normally, the groom would come at an hour in the evening when everybody was awake And able to participate. But in the story Jesus told, for some reason, the groom was delayed. And so when he finally came, it was late. The Bible says it was at midnight when somebody gave the cry, the groom is here. Uh, and, And that may sound rude to us, that he would show up at midnight and wake everybody up. And yet, in their culture, the groom had every right to expect that his bride and all the bridesmaids would be ready whenever he showed up any hour of the day or night. And so he comes at midnight. Now, the main idea of this story, given what we've heard in the previous chapter about Jesus coming again, The main idea of this parable is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the groom. He's returning for his bride, all the Christians, the whole church worldwide. And uh, and he's going to take us to our new home. Now, Jesus may delay coming longer than we expect him to. But the point is, we need to be ready for his coming at any time. But then what are we to make of this? That the ten bridesmaids in the story fall asleep while they're waiting. And when the groom shows up, it turns out five of them are ready for his return. And five of them are not. The five who are ready are called the wise ones. The five who are not are called the foolish ones once. So let's think about this and, uh, and let's do it in terms of the surprises we see in this parable. You probably know that when Jesus told a parable, often he would include an ironic twist that nobody saw coming, a surprise in the story. In this one, I find four surprises 
from the parable of the bridesmaids. The first one is this. It's a surprise in the story that not everyone who appeared to be ready was actually ready. Not everyone who appears to be ready for the return of Jesus is truly ready for the return of Jesus. Think about the scene. All ten girls were invited. All ten girls were invited to be a part of the procession to the groom's house. They were all waiting and watching for the groom. But Jesus said five were ready for his coming and five were not. The five wise bridesmaids took their lamps and they had a little vial of oil with them. Those five represent the people who are truly saved. Those who are truly prepared to meet Jesus. But then there were five foolish bridesmaids who had their lamps, but verse 3 says they didn't take any oil with them at all. And so when the time came, they had fixed their hair, they put on their makeup, they got the lip gloss just right, they dressed up in their matching bridesmaid dresses, but those five foolish ones had neglected to do the one thing that was required in their job as a bridesmaid, and that is to bring oil to light their lamps for that wedding procession. And so those five foolish ones represent those in our world who do not, they are not truly saved because they do not truly know the Lord. In verse 12, the groom said, you can't come in because I don't know you. They all looked ready. Only five were ready. Reminds me of a story I heard not long ago from a pastor in Houston, Texas. And uh, this pastor told about needing to have a suit dry cleaned for a wedding that night. He had forgotten. He looked at his suit. It was dirty. It was wrinkled. Needed to be cleaned. And so uh, he didn't know what he was going to do. Then he remembered that he had passed a, a dry cleaners that said in large letters on the window of that cleaners, uh, one hour dry cleaning. And uh, so he thought, I'll just take it there. And so it was on the other side of Houston. He had to drive several miles to go and drop the suit off. When the clerk took his information, the man said, look, I have a few errands to run. I'll be back in an hour to get my suit. And uh, the lady said, an hour? This suit's not going to be ready until Tuesday. And the man said, I thought you did dry cleaning in one hour. And she said, oh, no, that's just the name of the store. We don't actually do it. Some people are like that store. They advertise the name Christian, but they don't actually know Jesus as Savior and Lord. They looked apart, but they are not saved. I think part of the reason why is that there are some misunderstandings that are out there, especially among people 
who were raised in a Christian home or have been around church. One of those misunderstandings is that coming to church is the same thing as coming to Jesus for salvation. But that is not true. Coming to church is not the same thing as coming to Jesus for salvation. You see, you can have a regular seat in the worship service. You can have perfect attendance. But if all you've ever done is come to church, but you've never come to Jesus for salvation, then you're like a foolish bridesmaid. You're not ready. What a tragedy for a person to come in the doors of this church all their life, but never enter the door of salvation. You only enter the door of salvation one way, and that is to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus, to admit and repent of your sin, and to place your faith in Him and to give Him your life. What a tragedy to come in the doors of a church all your life, but never really go in the door of salvation. Another misunderstanding is that being baptized is the same thing as being born again. But that's not true. Being baptized is not the same thing as being born again. Remember Jesus told a man named Nicodemus, a very upright moral, good man. You must be born again or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To be born again by the Spirit of God means that you come to Jesus with your sin. You repent. You believe in what He did on the cross to save you and your sins are forgiven and He places His Spirit within you and brings you to life spiritually And he gives you a new life and a new heart. Being baptized is not the same thing as being born again. You can be baptized once, twice, a dozen times and not be truly saved. You see, the water of baptism doesn't wash away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Another misunderstanding is this. That giving offerings to the church is the same as giving your life to Jesus. But giving offerings to the church is not the same thing as giving your life to Jesus. You can't just slip Jesus some money and buy your salvation. He wants your heart. He wants you to surrender your life to Him so that He is the Lord of your life. And so the the first surprise in this story is that not everybody who appears to be ready is truly ready for the coming of Jesus. The second surprise is that you can't borrow someone else's faith. It must be your own. Here's where I find that. Remember the groom in the story delayed his appearing And all the bridesmaids went to sleep. And then just when they didn't expect it, he showed up. Let me remind you what happened when he showed up. Verse 6 says, At midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Remember, they put the wick in. And the foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. The foolish ones tried to borrow oil from the wise girls, but they were turned down. Now that may seem like a a mean girl move right there. But the wise ones were thinking, no, I brought enough. And if I give half of it away, then I, I will not have enough to complete the wedding procession. And that's why I'm here. And so the point of that, I think, is pretty clear. You can't borrow someone else's faith. You can learn from someone else's faith, but you can't use their faith. I've heard people deflect the gospel by saying things like this. Well, my grandpa was a preacher. Like they expect to slip into heaven on grandpa's record. But you can't do that. I've heard people say, my mama was a godly woman. My mama taught a Bible class for 50 years in the church. Well, good for your mama. But you can't borrow faith from your parents or your grandparents or your friends. They can teach you God's word. They can show you what it looks like to be a Christian, but they cannot give you saving faith. You have to follow Jesus for yourself. You have to believe for yourself if you're going to be saved. There's a third surprise here, and it's a tragic one, and that is that the door of opportunity to be saved will one day be shut Jesus said, those foolish girls hurry off to buy oil. And in verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Here's a fact. Today, February the 12th, 2023, The door of salvation is open. But one day, that door will be shut. You could die and that would shut the door. Jesus could return at any moment and that would shut the door of opportunity for you. But the good news is, today, that door of salvation is open. Jesus says, come. But one day it's going to be shut. And you don't want to be on the outside looking in. There's one more surprise. And it's the biggest surprise. And the one that Jesus saved to the end of the story. The very end. And that is, it is possible to deceive yourself. It is possible to deceive yourself. 
So Jesus gives, us, gives the story a surprise ending. The five foolish bridesmaids show up. They're out of breath. They're holding their shoes. Their hair's out of place. They finally get to the party and they knock on the door and say, sorry, we're late. Let us in. Now, in real life, if something like that happened and the groom answers the door or the wedding director or the caterer answers the door, what would you do? You would say, no problem. We wondered what happened to you. Glad you could make it. Come on in. But Jesus, that's what we expect, but Jesus gives us this surprise ending that when the girls show up in verse 11 and say, Lord, Lord, let us in, they really thought they were going in. But the groom says, I don't know you, and they are left outside. You know, I've heard people say, you can fool everybody else, but you can't fool yourself. Oh, yes, you can. According to Jesus, it is possible to fool yourself. It's possible to deceive yourself into thinking that you are a real Christian when you've substituted something else. You've tried to borrow grandma's faith or you've tried to uh, earn your salvation through some kind of religious activity or logging time in a church pew. The reality is you don't really know Christ. It's possible to deceive yourself. This is not the only time Jesus says so. In fact, uh, I really dislike reading these verses aloud, but I want to read you two other places where Jesus said this. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, all of this religious activity. Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then in Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you're from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Hey, how many of you have ever run out of gas in your car? Can I see your hand? 
I would venture to say I've run out of gas more than you have. Because my first car was a green 1972 Volkswagen Beetle. When I bought it for $800, it had a new clutch in it, but a broken gas gauge. And so I just had to guess. A lot of times I guessed right how much gas I had. Many times I guessed wrong. That's no fun in the age before cell phones. Anybody remember that? Today, I'm driving a Volkswagen again. It's a 2013 VW Passat, and it has a working gas gauge. In addition to the working gas gauge, it has built in three redundancies for people like me. It has a little chime that you hear that makes you look at the dashboard. It happened on the way to church this morning. And when you look, a little amber-colored gas pump lights up just below the gas gauge to let you know you're running low. And then a little readout says, please refuel range 50 miles. That's what it said today. Range 50 miles. Plenty of advance notice that if you don't do something, you're going to run out of gas. Now, the same thing is true for every car built in the last 15 years. With all the technology today, we have no excuse for running out of gas. But people still do. I checked. AAA says that last year they answered 500,000 calls just on America's interstates to go and help people who ran out of gas. And you can picture what happened. The ding, the little gas pump lights up. You have this many miles, but they ignore the warnings and they procrastinate. And even though the display ends up saying five miles to empty, they think I can surely make it 15 miles to Bucky's. And a lot of people end up on the side of the road empty. And the reason is false confidence. They deceived themselves into thinking that they could make it. And I believe if this parable says anything to us today, it says, don't deceive yourself. Search your heart. Do you really know Jesus? Or are you relying on some substitute that is not the same thing? Do you really know Jesus? Now, while the door of salvation is open, now is the time to be sure. It won't always be open. 
And eternity is too long to be wrong. Let's stand together. And I want to ask you to pray with me. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we come into a time of commitment now? I thank you for your word, how clear it is, what we need to do. And I pray for those who may be here today or watching us. And during this sermon, they've realized, I'm not ready. I've been deceiving myself. I'm not ready if Jesus comes today. And God, I pray that somehow you would break through to them. They would hear your voice. They would know now is the time I've got to do something about this. I pray that even now they feel your conviction, this overwhelming feeling that I've got to get this settled. I need to repent of my sins and really come to Jesus and be saved. Lord, for those, I pray that today is the day that they get, they get that settled. That they would not procrastinate. They wouldn't rationalize. They wouldn't use the excuses they've always used. But I pray today would be a day of honesty and humility as they come to you for salvation. And as we're still just bowing in prayer, if that's you I'm talking about, uh, our pastors are going to be standing here in the front. I just want to ask you to come right now while we're praying. Come and just say to one of our pastors, that's me. I've been fooling myself. I want to get it settled today. Let us help you do that. Right where you are, you can call on the Lord. Lord Jesus, save me. And you place your faith in him and be saved today. You come now, even while I'm talking, and I have to pray one more thing before we close. Heavenly Father, I pray for me and everyone else who's already in. They're already saved. God, I pray that what we've seen in your word today would cause us a sense of angst and earnest, earnestness and urgency in our hearts. When we think about the people in our life who are still on the outside, those who are lost in their sin. And Lord, as we think that we don't know when that door is going to shut, we pray you would light a fire under us to get us moving and get us into action to go and tell them how they can be saved. Thank you for Pastor Keith sharing earlier about a first grader and a fifth grader who are doing that and they're going to their friends and telling them about Jesus. God, move us to do that. As we think about our friends, our family members who are lost,
Lord, send us to go while the door is open. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.